Hello and welcome to the Feminist News Feed. My name is Patrick. My name is Jessica. And the news is on fire. So join us for a feminist discussion about the biggest news stories of the week that impact gender equality. So, Jessica, did you hear that Joe Biden has nominated Ketanji Brown-Jackson to become the first black woman on the Supreme Court? I did. How bloody cool is that? Very, very exciting. Oh, my God. I mean... Finally. From a, from a practical perspective, if we're concerned about judgments that are positive towards the needs of groups that are typically discriminated against... Yeah. Typically, conservative judges are less favorable towards those claims, and we still have this six-person conservative supermajority in place. Oh, so, God. Yeah. Um, although it's absolutely the appointment of Justice Jackson's wonderful, mm. doesn't really change the dynamics on the court. No. But you... from an expressive perspective, and as a role model for future mm-hmm. black justices... Oh, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, uh, for me, I'm like, there's, there's a couple of things, right? There is a uh, having that viewpoint in like the dissents and that type of thing is mm-hmm. going to be really cool and uh, can still because you yeah I mean we've we've seen how strong RBG's Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dissents have been yeah. over her career sometimes a really powerful dissent can be just that can be really really powerful yeah exactly um, so yeah huge yeah. hopes huge hopes for, and, and, for Justice Jackson and the other thing is that we will likely see well. <laughs> wishful thinking really but um, it, we, it could <laughs> be a matter that like uh, seeing an amazing qualified you know Harvard Law graduate black woman on the highest court shows that a pure quote unquote meritocracy isn't a, really a sort of what it what it claims to be do you know what I mean like, sure sure because she, you know, the only candidates that were considered were black women is an example of how looking for that diversity, you still find completely qualified and amazing candidates. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah and exactly. also, I guess it shows the the problematic aspect of any reliance on, on meritocracy is that for a black woman to reach this position, she has to be so so qualified, so competent, yeah. so incredible. It's that, you know, um, mm. white people have to walk, black people have to fly Yeah, um, yeah. to reach the same position. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it would be absolutely wonderful if her, her presence on the court and the way that she uses her legacy really inspires, um, yeah, future uh, black female jurists yeah, exactly. to, to head for, for the same position. It would be yeah. amazing. Yeah, definitely. This, you know, representation can never be minimize you know absolutely absolutely like it's 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 easy to say oh representation doesn't guarantee you anything and that's true you know you can you can get a woman into a male dominated place and she can still reflect male norms you know so she can still definitely you kind of use the dominant norms against other women you know so it's it's like it's not just getting women into places you kind of need good women in these places, you know what I mean? You need women who are going to try and use their legacy positively. Um, and yeah, the hope is that Justice Jackson will be absolutely that. Yeah, and I mean, just a little about her background. Uh, you know, she, as I said, went to Harvard. Mm-hmm. She worked as a public defender, which is unusual. Huge. Yeah. yeah, very unusual. The, the first her. time, I think, yeah, uh, public make... defender has been on the court. Mm, yeah, the makeup of the bench is, is not 
typically defense friendly. Yeah, and uh, and she served as the vice chair on the U.S. Sentencing Commission, where she was focusing on reducing sentencing disparities. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So she, really interesting background. Different. Bit different. Yeah, and she's like uh, of the like short list that Biden had. Mm. She was seen as the most progressive. Um, of his like top three or four. It's or whatever, exciting. Which is yeah, it's amazing. Exciting. Yeah, really yeah. cool. Yeah, in a Very bleak exciting. in a bleak period. <laughs> this is lovely. You started with some good news. Yeah, I did. I'm thrilled. <laughs> but you said bleak period, so maybe that would be a <laughs> Time good to segue the bleak into period. the bleak period, <laughs> where we have the live update still on the screen <laughs> because we can't tear our eyes away from. The war in Ukraine. Yes. That is currently ongoing, and by the time this even comes out, there will be new developments. Uh, and so we, we can't really give you up-to-date news on it, but I did want to use it as sort of a, uh, a jumping-off point to talk about, uh, and I, I know you've done a lot of work on this, mm. the outcomes of women and children in sort of war, you know? Yeah. Um, when, when war comes to town. Yes, who who unfortunately suffers the most. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's always reflected in armed conflict that um, civilians tend to suffer the most. There's been, mm. as um, armed conflicts have expanded over the last few decades and specifically, quote, civil wars have become more common, mm. civilians are, yes, caught in military operations so much more. And particularly, women really suffer whenever there's an influx of arms into a country. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's not only, you know, being victimized by armed forces, but that's also the fact that intimate partner violence will get worse when you provide people in a country with guns. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I can't remember the exact statistic, but once a gun is introduced into a house where there is intimate partner violence, there's a there's a huge jump in the possibilities of that woman later dying. Right, yes, because there's already violence in the house and you've just given them another tool with a, which... A, fa a, a tool a, that a is almost, yeah, almost always fatal. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's 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 very very concerning from from that perspective. Women women definitely when there is uh, already you know I can't think of a country where there isn't a difficult situation for women and girls. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, but like when you come from that difficult power dynamic, mm. whenever you overlay an armed conflict, things will get worse. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 going to be it's going to be very hard. It's going to be very difficult to hear the news that's coming in over the mm -hmm. next few weeks. Um, and all, all we can really hope, just as um, uh, as per Afghanistan as well, is that women basically um, have the uh, the space, the energy, the support to rebel. Yeah, yeah. To, and um, and I, I mean, hopefully this ends very quickly. Hmm. Uh, but it will be important to keep an eye on the situation, I think, both in Ukraine and Russia, for women going forward because yeah as you say you know um arms come in you know ukraine is arming a lot of civilians mm. in order to you know bolster its its uh, defense forces uh and you know then what happens after everybody starts coming back all these and... yeah the, yeah start start of armed conflict through armed conflict and outcomes if they ever reach peace settlement yeah it's it's all high risk unfortunately mm. um and yeah it's it's why it's so important to take intersectional uh, approaches to outcomes of armed conflict so not just looking like what were the outcomes for civilians 
but specifically what were the outcomes for disabled civilians, female civilians, gender yeah. diverse civilians, uh, because otherwise you don't get a full picture of actually who is bearing the brunt of yeah. the harm. Yeah. Uh, and often they go along those um, those sort of frameworks of protected groups yeah. in discrimination law. You need those, you need to be reporting on those characteristics, those categories. Yeah, yeah, it's why disaggregated uh, data is so important. Exactly. Uh, and unfortunately, in armed conflict, it's quite difficult to collect accurate data. So. Yeah, all we've really been seeing out of the reporting is just the pure numbers. And I mean, yeah, yeah. Un, you know, it's quite understandable. Yeah, yeah, it is difficult to collect data in armed conflict. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, uh, we're, we're hoping that they're collecting the data behind the scenes and they're just, you know, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. They don't necessarily need to report on it now because it's they're in the middle of a war still. <laughs> yes, yeah. But it is, yeah, it is very important for uh, research on armed conflict to highlight uh, particular harms to, to protected groups, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, we're going to keep an eye on what's going on and all the reports coming out and anything that is... Uh, gender specific yeah, uh, yeah. And, and hopefully we'll be able to talk on that more in, in the coming episodes and alongside uh, well, hopefully you know, there'll be nothing to talk about everything will be fine again <laughs> <laughs> I mean we, we have to remember of course that alongside this the pandemic continues much as you know yep. some people wish it was over yeah yeah I could definitely I, I haven't seen a lot of talk about uh, the pandemic in, in Ukraine at the moment no um, yes <laughs> I was really worried about that it, Typically happens that if uh, one awful thing is new, the other awful thing tends to <laughs> tends to become um, <laughs> yeah. slightly less important in your thoughts, and that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, when we look at these huge, you know, world-changing disasters, whether man-made or, or um, something like the pandemic, mm. um, which of course has some uh, human human uh, action involved in it as well. Yes, uh, <laughs> the, the, the continued spread. <laughs> yes, the continued spread, and also some questionable policies uh, <laughs> uh, we it is it is important to note how these uh, at-risk groups are impacted and we've already put out quite a few articles on our website she's right about how uh, the pandemic due to the role that women play in caring and how mm. this is um, you know a, a disaster that focuses very much on the um, the uh, healthcare front line mm. that women have uh, even if they have less severe health outcomes there is such a huge burden in caring, loss of jobs, etc., mm-hmm. that has really uh, fallen during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Comparisons between global disasters. Oh my god, this podcast is amazing. This podcast is depressing. Let's talk about something happier. Yeah, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> so, uh, did you hear that uh, in New Zealand there was a massive victory for the LGBTQIA plus community? Uh, because they ha- uh, the New Zealand government has passed a law banning conversion therapy. I did, and it made me miss New Zealand. Yeah, dear, I know. Dear right. listeners, we are originally from New Zealand. Yes. Um, do, I mean, do you want to give a quick, like, what is conversion therapy? Yeah, yeah. So conversion therapy takes a lot of forms, but basically the idea is um, different mechanisms, treatments, in mm. air quotes, um, to dissuade someone from feeling or exploring their sexual orientation. Ultimately, uh, there is every possibility that you can class a lot of conversion therapy as being in human treatment. Yeah. Um, they take, yeah, as I said, they take a lot of forms back in the bad old days. Um, this could be electric shock therapy, um, a lot of dissuasion therapies. Mm. Uh, I hate using the word therapy. 
Yeah, we, yeah. But you get At it. a high level, it's uh, doing anything you can to try to get gay people to not be to gay. To not be gay, yeah. Or, <laughs> or people with, you know, or, a non... Uh, gender dysphoria. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, anyone yeah. with a gender identity that differs from the norm. To just stop doing that. Yeah, um, yeah. But in the most harmful ways, and people can feel mm-hmm. those harms for the rest of their lives. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's awful. Um, so this specific legislation... Uh, makes it a criminal offence to attempt to change or suppress a person's sexual orientation or gender identity through the harmful therapy practices. However, this doesn't include conversions at home among families. And unfortunately, that's often where the greatest danger lies. Yeah, like... so this is basically going to make it illegal to run like a, a conversion therapy clinic, mm. but not illegal to, you know, uh, almost uh, emotionally abuse, uh, especially children and, mm. and familial, uh, you know, family members. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's a deeper question as well whether criminalization is going to have much effect whatsoever. Mm. Uh, specifically, if people's desire to to change their kids in this way is, you know, a belief that's really fundamental to them, yeah, criminalization isn't necessarily going to deter them at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you'd want—I I haven't read the legislation, so I'm not sure—but you'd want some sort of awareness raising campaign or out, outreach to communities yeah. that might be particularly at risk of this uh, to to educate people about mm. why all your because I think. I think fundamentally most people love their kids. Yeah. And a lot of it is based in love, you know, uh, but their beliefs are so skewed that they love their children so much that they're trying to, you know, save them. Maybe, maybe, yeah. This thing. Yeah, and like every every case is different and I'm sure there are, you know, uh, a a good good amount of of people who are just being actively harmed. Yeah. Um, I think though for, I guess, almost... I don't want to say borderline cases, but sort of parents that maybe just don't know enough about the harms mm. uh, and really do think that they are uh, trying to prevent their kid having a harder life. Because yeah, there's, there's, yeah. there's still a lot, I think, of belief that if you can somehow help your kid back onto the straight road, <laughs> that they will have an easier, happier life. Not realising that hiding who you are makes for a miserable life full, possibly, of mental health problems. Yeah, absolutely. At the very least, it sends a, a good message, you know, yeah. saying that it it's just sexual orientation, gender identity are inherent to everybody. They are not some, like an ill to be cured. Mm. They are something to be celebrated. Yeah, and I, I will say that it didn't pass unanimously. There were uh, eight no's. Okay, uh, so, but nearly unanimously, at least was that. 112 <laughs> uh, for and eight against. Ooh, uh, I wouldn't want to be in that group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, eight National Party members who... I wouldn't mm. want them representing my community, is what I'm saying. Uh, so, <laughs> moving from a an amazing uh, victory... In New Zealand to a, a lesser victory, more of a sadder uh, topic, if, if you will allow me, uh, Jessica. I will survive. Uh, I, it's I still good news, though. In um, way. So a man uh, whose name I will not use uh, has pleaded guilty to the murder of Sabina Nessa. Oh, Sabina. Yeah, so uh, for those listeners who aren't up on the story, uh, Sabina... Uh, was found dead in Cato Park in southeast London on the 18th of September 2021. It was a day after she left her home to meet a friend in a nearby 
bar. And it was a really shocking and awful crime. Uh, we don't need to get into those details. Uh, suffice to say, you know, we are very thankful that uh, this man has pled guilty. Yeah, I mean, again, nothing's going to bring her back. No. And I'm so very tired of people saying that they're shocked. That's oh, God. Sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, it happens so often. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, if, if a woman can't even be safe just walking a few minutes in public, like, yeah. what, what, are we, what are we really coming to? If you, if you sort of disengaged from the way society treats women mm. and thought about the fact that there is a group of people in society that basically can't be in public, mm. can't be outside of their homes without risking being raped and murdered. Yeah. Like, how would we take that? That's, yeah. And yet it's so normalised that you ask someone to walk you home and, you know, you text your friends, you're on the phone with your boyfriend. It's just, it's... When you actually, when you actually think about how restricted we are, it's mm. horrifying. It's truly horrifying. And the best that can be said for, for this piece of news is that at least her family don't have to go through a trial. Yeah. yeah. Because... Uh, it, it can be so awful. Yeah, and, and, and particularly, unfortunately, because uh, sexism is so rampant even in the legal system, it's often that the, the woman who has been killed is on trial as well, if not instead of. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that's that's a huge concern, thinking back to the Grace Mullane trial that we published some articles on on She's oh, Right yeah. uh, a few years ago. Uh, the, the victim blaming that just was constant in that trial. Mm-hmm. Scarred, I'm sure scarred her family. Definitely, Terribly. yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, at the, at the very least, Spina's family have been spared that, but mm-hmm. good God, they, like, what, is it, what does it take for this to stop, you know? I know. They, um, they did mention um, that they were disappointed that they wouldn't be able to find out what his motivation was, yeah. but uh, it seems like when you look into it, there wasn't motivation other than, you know, just pure misogyny. Mm. Uh, Seeing women as disposable. Yeah, he he had a, uh, a history of domestic violence, um, including so uh, he had a, a former partner gave testimony to the prosecution. Is that what you call it? Testimony to the prosecution. Interviewed by the prosecution, gave them details. Yeah. Okay, cool. It, was it in court or not? No. Oh, then interviewed. Interviewed. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, in an interview with the prosecution, yeah. uh, a, a former partner said that he had uh, attempted or physically threatened to strangle her um, loose, at oh, least two times. Yeah, yeah and, so, we, and we know how um, strangulation, non-fatal strangulation, is such a strong indicator that that person is going to go on to kill someone in the future. Exactly. Right? It's, it's such a, a strong warning sign, and that's why strangulation has, you know, became its own offence in New Zealand, recognising mm-hmm. that connection between a femicide and, and a, a non-fatal strangulation in the past. Mm. Yeah. But the prosecution has asked for a minimum sentence of 30 years. Gosh, uh, that's... Given the nature of the crime. Significant. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, what... you know, we, we have our reservations as to imprisonment, of course. A uh, punishment doesn't equal prevention exactly exactly the focus the focus has to be on prevention uh and so i don't i don't celebrate sentences you know yeah uh all i all yeah all i can i can really think about is how that family has a life sentence Mm. oh god yes yeah so in the in the trial 
Would it, would, would it be accounted as a trial? Not really. Yeah. yeah. Well, when, in court. When he pled guilty, yeah. you can say. So in court, uh, the prosecution uh, spoke of Sabina as, quote, an outstanding primary school teacher. She was 28 years old when she was murdered. She was a much-loved daughter, sister, and aunt. Her death has been catastrophic for her family, end yeah. quote. So, not surprising. Beautiful person. Who, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, look, it's hard, but it's hard to talk about. But we are, you know, very glad that he was caught and yeah. uh, has pled guilty. So, it's bittersweet news. Bittersweet news, yes. But, you know, as as we said, it's... it's, it's uh, I, I'm, I'm not feeling the roaring 20s at the moment. I feel like it's been a very bleak decade so far. <laughs> um, and we, we'll take bittersweet news. Yes. Uh, <laughs> in, uh, instead of just depression. Bitter news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But look, hey, uh, it's not all bittersweet. Some of it is just sweet. Uh, although it could be considered bittersweet as well. Oh, no. <laughs> You're letting us down. Look, look, look. Uh, in Colombia, they have decriminalized abortion during the first 24 weeks of pregnancy. Oh, even longer to, than New Zealand. Yeah, uh, due to a, uh, a, a ruling by the Constitutional Court in a 5-4 to four decision. For, uh, for context, New Zealand decriminalized up to 20 weeks, so this is actually better than what some would term, like, such a progressive country. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I, so I am... Uh, curious. I, I'm not exactly sure how the legal system works in Colombia, but this was a court decision. Uh, I'm not sure if that's like the last step in legislation or if this is like separate from legislation. Uh, not sure there, but either way, it's a bloody good victory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's wonderful, and I'm I, I I know how strong the the social movement for decriminalization was oh, behind huge. this victory. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's 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 such a successful campaign. It's very yeah. exciting. Um, and yeah, every every country that actually recognizes the pregnant people have a right to reproductive freedom. Mm. It's just yeah. I I, <laughs> I see how you how you say it's bittersweet because again we're talking about like a right that should have always been. Yeah, yeah. You yes. know, we're sort of we're celebrating the bare minimum. Okay. <laughs> it seems like it. Yeah. Um, but it is still. I I really take it as. Uh, a mood boost. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, this comes on the heels of similar rulings in uh, Mexico and Argentina mm. uh, last year. Um, it, it's 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 really great, uh, really great news there. Uh, it, especially when you think about like so. Before this, uh, abortion in Colombia was allowed only when there was a risk to the life or health of the pregnant mother the existence of life-threatening fetal malformations, and when the pregnancy, or all when the pregnancy, was the result of rape, incest, or non-consensual artificial insemination. I'm so, very sad that they had to put that as an exception, because yeah. that indicates it was common. Yeah, yeah, that's... Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, it's so, it's so frustrating as well, because you don't know... Obviously, very glad this is no longer the case. Yes. But... When you think about these exception-based abortion laws and how difficult it is, actually, for someone to prove that they were raped yeah. or that they yeah. were the victim of incest. Like, what's their, you know, what's their definition, uh, the legislature, for when that has been proved? Like, do they have to go to trial, in which case the baby will be here before, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, before, it's... before the trial has probably even got, like, 
to court. <laughs> it's, it's it's difficult to uh, navigate those sort of exceptions. Yeah, and yeah. you know it, it's it's another sort of expressive benefit again that the the exception based laws are very much like if it if your sort of personal autonomy has had any role in this like if you've decided to have sex we can't help you yeah um not That's not realizing of course that birth control should maybe be the responsibility of both partners mm-hmm. and also perhaps that you know pregnant people should be able to decide what goes on in their own body yeah and i mean colombia is obviously a very like a uh, very Catholic country, and so a lot of these types of laws do stem from, you know, the the rhetoric of, you know, no sex before marriage and that type of thing. Sure, but also, like, very, quote, progressive countries have had similar laws, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, it's definitely... It's a, it's a wide problem of mm-hmm. sexual morality, uh, <laughs> which is... <laughs> is, is it's, it's good to see... Um, yeah, to see a, a more positive future ahead. <laughs> yeah, so just a, a stat here that, that I pulled out of sort of the news was uh, reproductive rights groups estimate that as many as 400,000 abortions are performed each year in Colombia, with only 10% carried out legally. That's the thing. Prohibitions on abortion don't stop abortions. They just stop safe abortions. Yeah, so during 2020, at least 26,223 unsafe abortions oh were carried out across Colombia. According to Pro Familia, a local uh, repro- reproductive healthcare provider, so it, that exactly what yeah. you just said, uh, uh, criminalizing abortion does not stop abortion. It just denies you safe healthcare. Exactly, unless you're rich. That's and then typically you can the way. The travel way. somewhere else to get an abortion done. Mm. It's yeah, prohibitive for people the, in poor socioeconomic yeah. circumstances. Exactly, which makes it more egregious. In a way, yeah, anything that applies unequally. Exactly right. A a terrible law that also applies unequally is worse. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So that was the news. It was. Which was on fire? It, the world is on fire. I think that's the, that's the vibe we're going for. Yeah, it really is. The world is on fire, so let's discuss. But there's good things too. Yay. And speaking of good things. Good things like the things that we make? Yeah, we make other things. (laughs) Which you can find at she'srite.co.nz or on our socials at she'srite.nz on Facebook and Twitter and she'srite underscore nz on Instagram. Go and check us out. Give us a like, follow, share us around your friends and uh, get in touch if you want to let us know what you thought. What stories you'd like us to rant about next? Send us a story. You might you might get featured. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, take care.